Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 2 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. In this season, we want to focus on practical discussions about unity within the Stone Campbell movement and beyond. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one so that the world may know. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread, and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Welcome to episode 80 of the Common Grounds Unity podcast and our series on spiritual formation. We're excited to have Alan Fadling with us for the last two episodes of this series and excited to have Casey Tigrick co-hosting. Casey was one of our guests on a recent podcast in the same series and we're really excited to have him co-host this. He and Alan are friends and so we ask him to uh, be with us and also be able to use his relationship to like dig out some really interesting uh, information and facts from Alan. So Casey, that's why you're here. So uh, um, before here I to int- dig up the dirt, that's right. You can do it. Look, Alan doesn't look scared. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So before I introduce Alan, I want to let you know about a schedule change. Um, as of today, we'll be releasing new episodes on the first and third Friday of each month. So two episodes per month instead of weekly episodes. And we're also hoping to create some special events once per quarter most likely a Zoom event. We did one of these not too long ago and it was really enriching. It was great to see people. So we'll keep you posted as things develop. Please let us know if you have ideas for series or topics or people to interview. Uh, We'd love to hear from you and we'll keep you in the loop as we go forward. Lastly, if you think Common Grounds Unity is making a difference, then we would encourage you to support this ministry with a monthly donation of any amount. And you can see the link in the show notes. Our guest today is Alan Fadling. Alan received an MDiv from Fuller Theological Seminary. He is president and founder of Unhurried Living, Inc. in Mission Viejo, California, suffering for Jesus in a really ugly place. It's it's really, somebody has to do it, but... <laughs> it was that or Hawaii, and that's what you picked? Well, that was, that's where we landed. <laughs> He's inspiring uh, people to rest deep. Deeper, live fuller, and lead better. And he speaks and consults internationally as well as nationally with organizations such as Saddleback Church, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Crew, Halftime Institute, Apprentice Institute, and Open Doors International. He's the award-winning author of An Unhurried Life, honored with a Christianity Today Award of Merit and Spirituality, An Unhurried Leader, and What Does Your Soul Love? Eight Questions That Reveal God's Work in You. He's a trained spiritual director. Alan is an Anglican priest in the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others under Bishop Todd Hunter. He lives in Mission Viejo, California with his wife, Jim, and their family. And he hosts a podcast called the Unhurried Living Podcast. Okay, that's a lot to digest, but I hope that that gives people just a little bit of insight into the amazing conversation we're getting ready to have and what you guys can learn. And I'm so glad that we've already used some of these terms like spiritual director and some of these things are a little bit more familiar now that we're at the end of this series. So 
Uh, Casey, why don't you get us started? Alan, thank you so much for your time being with us and sharing what God's taught you and what he can teach us through you. Well, thanks. I've been looking forward to the chance to have this visit. Alan, I, they mentioned earlier, you and I knew each other. We were just talking about how long it's been and it's been quite a while. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's been time, time wise, it's been a long time, but it's also been, uh, a lot has happened in your and my life since we met each other, a lot of transitions and changes. And I know about a lot of those, uh, but all, all the things we talked about in, in the intro, uh, you and I swim in very similar waters. What I don't know is where did the journey of spiritual formation really start for you? What were the things that like the Genesis that it brought that word, that term, and the practices and all the things that go along with it. Where did that really start? And were there, was it just influences or were there experiences? What was it that started the journey of formation for you? Yeah, it's a good question. And um, so I could, you know, I, in my head, I sort of, well, when I was three, I remember, you know, I mean, uh, that gets to be silly. But I would say I was that, a very spiritual child. I was, yeah, <laughs> something like that. So my, journey with spiritual formation really began in my late 20s. That was a little more than 30 years ago. I was a full-time college pastor in a local church, Southern California. I was a full-time student at um, Fuller Seminary, getting that MDiv you mentioned in my bio. And I was fairly newly married, maybe five years. And sadly, I would say, one, my priorities were probably in that order. And two, I was not unhurried. I was the opposite of unhurried. In fact, I was burning out. And let's just say if you're burning out in your late 20s, that's not good pacing, you know. Um, and so it was God's kindness that he brought a group of men who were just starting a nonprofit called the Leadership Institute. And these were men who lived the things I had read about in Dallas Willard, you know, Spirit of the Disciplines, and Richard Foster, you know, Celebration of the Disciplines. I had read those books. I had preached messages about those practices. I just hadn't tried them on in my own life. And so it was the gift of some friends who lived this way, who became uh, a mentor uh, for me. And at the time, um, I will just say that we, spiritual formation would have been a foreign term. Spiritual director, that would have been something they do. Um, I was in a very busy, very hyperactive Mega church, and so uh, in fact, I got labeled the mystic shortly after launching into my spiritual formation journey. And let's just say, mystic was not a uh, term of endearment for staff. It was not something you wanted on your quarterly review. And so, <laughs> yeah, so there were people who um, came alongside me from outside my organizational environment, and just lived a different way, and then invited me into these practices. Didn't tell me about them. Didn't moralized with me about things I ought to do in my life. They just lived this way and invited me to join them. And I would say maybe the practice more than any other that was important for me was a kind of extended solitude, silence, and prayer. You might call it retreat. One of my mentors called it EPC. He liked acronyms. That stands for Extended Personal Communion with God. And it was in those extended times of solitude, silence, not to tell God stuff I needed, but just to be in the presence of God as a listener, as a beloved child, that God began to change my vision of the Christian life 
and began to change my vision of what it meant to be a pastor. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning for me. So, Alan, you were talking about your church experience. Um, how have you seen over time the receptivity or the openness of the church to step into some of these spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices? What does that look like? Yeah, so like I say, this this journey began about 30 years ago. And at the time, I think mostly spiritual formation needed to provide an, an apologetic um, a rationale for why this is us, and when it feels like it's them, it felt Catholic. It felt, you know, mainline church. It felt like didn't feel like us. And so, I think in those earlier days, a few decades ago, there was a lot of need for a rationale. Now, there are still neighborhoods of the church where that's necessary even today. Uh, but I would say, broadly speaking, in the Protestant church, the Protestant evangelical church, openness has grown over time. And so I would say spiritual formation went from being the new kid in the block to being a very popular fad to now in many settings being kind of part of the fabric in a good way of the way many live the Christian life and, and do ministry. It's really clear, you know, you've you and I have had numerous conversations about the intersection of leadership and formation. And it's it's really clear to see that what you talk about is not, you have not decided to become a subject matter expert. You've decided to speak out of the subject and the material of your own life and, and then become a subject matter expert about it. And um, what I find is that people are drawn to the practices of spiritual formation, but that language still makes people feel wonky. And hmm. so they just label you mystic so they don't have to deal with it. Right. Um, sure. So, and part of that is about when we talk about spiritual formation and we talk about the practices, a lot of times we're talking about rest. We're talking about pace. Uh, it, it's not something you can do quickly. And in both your books, you talk about the pace of Jesus compared to kind of the pace that we've learned to live by unpack a little bit of the difference between those two things. Yes, I've come to really like that language of pace. It's it's a little um it's it's a mild word. It's it you know, it's who could argue with a different pace. But you know, I've I've come to think about that um I once made a list of about 50 words that I thought maybe described the pace of the kingdom differently than the pace of our surrounding culture. And sometimes our surrounding culture has seeped into the way we do church too. And so, for example, I would say that the kingdom of God operates at the pace of love, whereas our culture has a tendency to operate at the pace of self-interest. And that, again, creeps its way at times into even Christian leadership settings or church settings. We Love is so inefficient. It can take so much time uh, running a program and just keeping things humming, that's way easier. Getting into the messiness of people's lives and being a caring presence, you got to slow down to do that. You know, sort of Good Samaritan-like. The Levite, the priest, they're, they're on the other side of the road because they've got important stuff on their calendar. A Samaritan, he's got to stop. He's got to help this guy onto his animal to the nearest inn, handing out some cash from his own pocket. You know what I'm saying? It's the pace of love. It's also the pace of grace rather than a driven pace or a guilt-ridden pace. 
And so I, I just think the pace of grace, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, there's a merciful, kind pacing to the way God treats us. I run into a lot of pastors who are exhausted mostly by their own internal drivenness or the way in which they've internalized the drivenness of those they answer to. But I think the kingdom of God is a kingdom that operates at the pace of grace. I could continue. I'll mention maybe one or two others. I think it's a it's a kingdom that operates at the pace of peace. A lot has been said about how anxiety drives a lot of leadership activity. I don't think that's how it works in the kingdom. I think we we have a king, a prince of peace, if you want to call it that. And I think the kingdom of God operates on the basis of peace. And I think peace bears way better fruit than anxiety ever will. And so, you know, notice these words are, these are Bible words. <laughs> these, these are Christian words, you know, love, grace, peace. I'd say the pace of kindness, um, which is different than niceness, which is certainly different than people pleasing or recognition hunting. And now, when I talk about all these, I know what the other pace feels like because they have been my operating system at times in the past. I've joked that I, and it's not a very good joke, that I went into ministry partly because I sensed God's invitation to become a pastor at first. That's how I understood ministry was going to look like in my life. But that I also went into ministry because I was a fairly intelligent person and I loved studying the scriptures and I was in, in a church that highly valued the teaching of the scriptures. And so I loved studying the scriptures all day long, sharing my insights and getting some version of a good sermon, Pastor Allen. Like I was desperately in need of a certain quotient of good sermon, Pastor Allen's. Like somehow my soul was craving that. That will drive you to a different pace than the pace of kindness, the pace of grace, peace, love. So that's a little bit maybe. I just think the way of Jesus is different than we think. And he's inviting us to be imitators, not just admirers. Alan, it's so interesting that even as you're talking, I just feel everything in me kind of like slow down and like really feel a, a sense of peacefulness. And when you say words like grace, I'm like, yes. And it just, there's some, there's some part of, I think all of us that really resonates with that, but it's so hard to get there. And so I wonder if when, you know, you're talking about the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, the ones on one side of the road seem to be more working for God. And then the um, Samaritan that stops, he's more working with God. So how do we start moving from the idea of Good Sermon Allen to hmm. being with and caring and kindness? Like, what are... What are some ways that we can start moving into this pace of grace, this pace of peace? Yeah, the the you know those two phrases, working uh, for God, working with God, are just a little bit of shorthand for me of describing two different ways I've been involved in the work of ministry in the past. When I talk about working for God, it's it's if you want a metaphor, it's me somewhere out at a satellite office being sent work from the home office where God is, and I'm just slaving away, doing the best I can, trying to get everything God gave me done, you know, gave me to do done. 
um, there's not much of a sense of God's presence in it. Uh, it feels burdensome. It it feels overwhelming. There, I may have this really unfortunate vision that Jesus is more my boss than my Lord. And so, uh, ironically, in my early ministry, I didn't want to pray much because I was afraid if I prayed, I'd just get a longer to-do list. I mean, I'm I'm just telling you something about me, you know, not something about the God whose yoke is easy and burden is light. Working with God, I really see that language in the scriptures, especially the New Testament scriptures, that idea of fellow laborer. The sense, I think, if you want to use the language of Jesus' favorite image for what ministry looks like or the life of faith looks like, it's the image of a yoke. Working for God, I imagine Jesus just tossed that yoke in the air and I caught it with both arms, you know, kind of got scratched in the midst and now I'm exhausted. I'm lugging this yoke everywhere I go because, well, I want to be faithful to Jesus. So I'm going to, I'm going to carry this thing everywhere I go. I just think when he used the image of a yoke, he was inviting me into it with him. I just think that's such a different vision. I think Jesus invited those first followers to be with him. Yes, of course, he sent them out two by two, but then they came back and they were community again. And of course, now, thanks to the Spirit of God, he is with us all the time, even when we go out wherever we go, anywhere in the world. Working with God is that vision that the work is not primarily mine. It's primarily God's. Jesus is the one who's a good shepherd. I'm shepherding under Jesus. He's better at this than I am. He's taken responsibility more than I do. He knows what he's doing better than I do. He cares for the sheep more than I do. And all of that is really good news. Really good news. Because the minute I'm tempted to think that the yoke of ministry is way too heavy, and boy, have I been tempted to feel that way in these last couple of years, especially. What I have to keep remembering is I'm just not the one carrying the heavy end of this yoke. As challenging as this kind of work becomes, I am not alone doing it. I am doing it with God. Maybe the last thing I'll share, a little exercise in the chapter titled Working uh, with God in an Unhurried Leader. I first did this little exercise with a group of pastors in Russia. And I was talking about this idea of working with God. And they were nodding their head, yes, of course, because this guy from another country was telling them a thing. And of course, they're supposed to look like they believe you and agree with you. But I didn't feel like they were getting it in their guts. And so I just, and you can read about this exercise in the book, but very simply, I had them write down a list, write a list of some of the activities in any given week that are a part of what you do in ministry. So what? Preaching sermons, leading staff meetings, uh, leading a board, uh, meeting with people in counseling. You know what kind of list they might have written. Answer emails. Yuck. Uh, that, that's in there, you know. Um, and then I, I had them look at that list and I asked them, how do you feel when you look at that list? And you just see their faces drop, you know, and then through the translator, I'm hearing words like anxious, overwhelmed. I mean, a few of them were saying privileged, and that's true too. And then I said, what I'd like you to do now is take that list and at the end of every item you wrote, write just two little words, or maybe it's more than two in Russian, with God. And then I, I saw them starting to write this at the end of each of those little tasks or projects or meetings or whatever. And I watched their countenances soften. I watched them. And then I asked them, how do you feel now? And you could see they were smiling. They were talking about feeling less burdened, less overwhelmed. 
uh, it was just a simple little imaginative exercise. But but I've taken to when I've got something coming up in the calendar that feels overwhelming, I will write it in my calendar, adding the two words with God. Uh, it's not a little magic trick. It's not a life hack. Again, it's just an imaginative way for me to remember what's true. And so that idea that um, I am involved in a work that is not primarily mine, I'm not an owner of the work, I'm a steward of the work, is it really brings peace to me and encouragement. And I don't feel isolated. I don't feel alone in the work. And so maybe that's a little bit about that idea of how working with God has really transformed the way I understand the ministry I do. Well, you and I both have a, a love for Dallas Willard, and I, I always loved his quote about ministry. And he said, ministry is the work God has left for you to do in the world. And I just, I love that because it's like God has left that for me. It doesn't belong to me. Just to reiterate what you said, that's that's tremendous. And I I love thinking of that in terms of when we talk about ministry, a lot of people envision pastors or church leaders. Sure. But this is a, this applies across the board to someone who is a CPA or a pipe fitter or whatever. How do we how do we make that transition from this language really seems to connect when it connects. It connects well with people who are pastoral leaders, church leaders. How are how do you best translate that to someone who is working in the marketplace, who's a, a faithful person in the marketplace or does does work that they don't necessarily quote unquote see as holy or ministry? How do you, how do we do that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Of course, you know, a lot of my work tends to be with men and women who are in vocational ministry settings, you know, churches or nonprofits or whatever. But I've often led these sorts of like a retreat in the spirit of this for men and women in business or in, in an educational arena or in other settings other than religious, you know, ministry-like uh, work. And I think it takes a little bit of imagination. But the first thing that I want to say is that um, a person's work in a non-religious role is just as much ministry or potentially ministry as any religious job, like being a pastor or a missionary or a campus a leader or whatever. And so what I will often have, literally, I would take them through that with God exercise, and their list is different than mine as a pastor. And I just ask them, try to imagine what doing that task or leading that meeting would feel like if you felt like God was with you in it. So the first hurdle, I think, to pass is Jesus cares about that. Now, there are things even in ministry leaders' lives where we sort of have this uh, God doesn't care about that assumption. Oh, I'm just answering email. Who cares about that? God doesn't care about that. I'm just doing, you know, accounting. Who cares? God, I can do that with my eyes closed. God doesn't care about that. So I think part of it is imagining, having a holy imagination that the very tasks I do, unless they are, you know, unless I am, you know, uh, an assassin or something, like my job isn't going to be, you know, kosher. This, like the very thing I do is in absolute contradiction to the kingdom of God, right? But most of us don't have jobs like that, right? And they're not listening to this podcast if they do. So, but the the, the question is, can you imagine God caring about the various tasks of your particular job, actually being better at them than you are, 
wanting very much to come alongside you so that you could do that work well. You could do it creatively. You could do it from a place of genuine kingdom, love, and grace. I think in some ways, those who have you know, non-religious jobs have a better opportunity at ministry than I do, mostly working with professional Christian leaders, if you want to use a label like that. So that may be my, my answer is God cares about what you do, even if it's not a religious job. God is interested in what you do. God is good at what you do and could help you do it even better, better measured in terms of quality of care for the client or whatever whatever your arena of work is, and better in terms of the way in which it is a, an outpost for the kingdom, a place to express the very presence of God in that particular place. Yeah, some of the circles I'm traveling in these days, I'm finding that the faith forward people in the marketplace and even the faith curious people in the marketplace are the first ones really to express a hunger for some of the formation practices, the the pace questions and that. They, they realize that uh, they don't necessarily need a religious commitment to understand that the way they're working is just bonkers. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, however you get into the, into the room doesn't necessarily matter, but they're like, I feel like this is not how I was built to work. And like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Let's, let's talk about that. And that's sort of in light of the last two years, um, two or two and a half now, almost three years. Uh, all of us have been shown, shown some things about ourselves. Um, I, I encounter pastors who are working at a thousand miles an hour and it's almost as if they go, I have this family and I got locked in the house with them and they're wonderful. I would like to spend more time with those people. And they either decide to downgrade their position or they make different choices. Uh, but what I do think has happened is that the, the church will necessarily, the church, big C, all faith communities across traditions will change irrevocably as a result of what we've experienced. Not our message, not the central stuff, but like how we do what we do will change. Um, and I think the language and the conversation around formation is essential to that. So how do you see some of the language of formation and pace and practices and the way of seeing work as it intersects with character? Uh, how do you see... Uh, that affecting the church in the next couple of years, and also the people that uh, pastors and, and church leaders actually lead, how does it affect them as well? Yeah, so, you know, these last two coming up on three years, as you say, um, the COVID dynamics, you know, here in California, we just shut stuff down, you know, we had a rather uh, robust response, let us say, uh, to that pandemic reality. Um, and but I think depending on what your state did and what your experience was like, I think COVID had a way of both amplifying and accelerating stuff that was already there. And so that was true in the lives of leaders. And I think that was true in the lives of congregations. And so it's at least possible that the reason some people are not coming back to church is they've decided that what they actually want looks more like some of the experiences they had during quarantine, let's say. Where they, like you said, they were locked up in a house with their family and they turned out, turned out they liked them okay. And realized that the frantic way they were going about their lives robbed them of time 
to enjoy being the people of God that they are. I think I think this is pressing us to ask really, really basic questions. Um, one of my mentors was, uh, his mentor was Richard Halverson, who was one of the chaplains of the U.S. Senate in the last century. And he was the pastor of a large church in Washington, D.C., and he had a question, two questions he would ask his staff every single time they met. And they are going to sound like Sunday school questions to most of those listening. The first question was, what is a Christian? And the second question was, what is the church? And they asked that question over and over and over. And I just think we are being pressed with those kinds of questions, simple, basic questions. What is the church? Is it a provider of religious goods and services in hopes of attracting people who may or may not be interested in Jesus but would like an exciting experience? Now, I don't think any of us has that on our mission statement. (laughs) None of us believes that that would describe what we're trying for. Like, we're not going to get to heaven and hope Jesus would ask us, were there enough religious goods and services? Well done, thou provider of goods and services. You know, I mean, it's just, it's silly to talk that way. None of us in our hearts wants that. And yet, you know, sometimes the ways, at least some of us have done church, seem very shaped by the values of entertainment. They seem very shaped by the values of business. Is that always bad? Probably not always bad. But if you don't question those things, those values can come and replace kingdom values. Like at the end of my life, I don't think I'm going to look back and wish I'd led more services. I don't think I'm going to look back and wish I had created more exciting experiences for Christians to have. But I'm pretty sure already at 61, Already I'm looking back and I'm thinking of names of people I've walked alongside for a year or two or a decade or two. What is the church? What is the Christian life? And is what I do in my leadership of a ministry or a job or whatever, a church, um, is it moving me in the direction of those things? It's a good question to ask, not with shame, not with guilt, with grace, with kindness, Jesus longs to help us come into better focus as to that which he himself wants to be about as the great shepherd of his sheep. So I hope that's helpful. I think all of this has been super helpful. Um, I'm really excited for the next episode and um, where the conversation will take us. And I want to talk in the next episode, too, about resources that our listeners and myself can access to step more deeply into this unhurried life, this unhurried unhurried leading, and, and really experience what you just talked about, Alan, about really being the church and look, being able to look back and really, I mean, what you, what you shared is like the, the values or the measurements that are kingdom related. And I think we've just gotten so confused Um, and we don't have good community. Doesn't seem like in some cases for that to be called out in us. And so I'm really looking forward to the next episode where we can talk more 
And Casey, thank you so much uh, that you're co-hosting. We really miss Kevin this week, and um, but he'll be back with us at the beginning of our next series. Um, so uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for taking time um, to be with us, uh, Alan and Casey, but also to all of our listeners. And we will see you next week on the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you can't find a gathering in your area, we can help you start one. It's not difficult or time-consuming, and we'll help you out along the way. It really does simply start with a cup of coffee. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.